Today I'm talking to Dr. Finex Umjlovu about intercultural communication and cultural diversity. First off, in your opinion, why is intercultural dialogue so important? Well, um, Ash, um, intercultural dialogue, um, I think I would pitch it um, as uh, contrasted with uh, the, 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 the popular way of uh, trying to resolve conflicts, which is uh, advocacy and debate. So dialogue is about uh, uh, appreciating that all sides, all sides of the story or all views matter and they have to be heard. So it's about finding common ground. So it, from that perspective, a dialogue approach, for example, to conflict resolution is critical because it brings everybody, it makes people feel that they are valued, they are part of the process, they have something to say and they have a view that will be listened to and so they are part of the solution so it's unlike advocacy or debate which is largely adversarial you know it's uh, about winning an argument so but dialogue is not about winning an argument it's about finding answers together as a collective so it approaches problems from the perspective of understanding that every other person has a way of knowing, every other person has something to say, is an answer to a problem. So what you bring to the table is valued. So we are collective. So it leaves everybody feeling that they are accepted, they are valued, they have something to say and they will be heard. So that's the benefit of intercultural dialogue. And it comes from the perspective that uh, many scholars of interculturalism uh, have uh, put forward that every human social inter interaction, every social interaction among human beings is intercultural. That is to say, every situation, we might be from the same cultural background, they, but there are some nuances, some minute things that differentiate you from me. And from that perspective, we might belong to the same family, you know, uh, mom, dad, and kids, yeah. you know, but we belong to different social and cultural groups. And therefore, for us to work together as a collective, we've got to engage in dialogue as opposed to some kind of an imposition. I am the dad here, I'm, I'm your father, therefore you've got to listen to me. This is what I'm telling you. This is what, how things must yeah. go. This is how things work in my house. You will have perennial conflicts and yet dialogue brings us together, makes everybody feel valued. I think that's what I would say really about the benefit of a dialogue approach to, to, um, to solving problems and uh, trying to get along with everybody. Of course, and that is the thing that's most important about having a conversation is that it's equal. Yes, indeed, indeed, it is equal because, I mean, you will never get cooperation from people for as long as they feel that they are treated as inferior, that they are less important than you are. You know, you, you won't get, like, it, it applies even in terms of management. You know, if you are managing a group and you have goals to achieve, you've got to make your team feel that they are part of the agenda and they have something to say. Yeah. It's not you as a manager or as a leader coming to tell everybody to say, this is where we are heading, just follow me. It doesn't work. But if you want things to work, a collaborative and cooperative approach, valuing everybody that they have an input and they are worth listening to. 
Are you able to explain a bit about what forms intercultural dialogue can take? What can it look like at sort of a maybe a higher level or even a lower level, like you were saying, amongst families? Yes. Yeah, so it can be at a higher level, um, and usually at a higher level, it's a uh, at a political level, either at the nation state level or at an international level. So at the nation state level, you know, you find that um, there are lots of uh, political and economic problems that often arise. And within the confines of the nation state, you want to find solutions. For example, we have an example right now here in Australia. I can cite the example here in Australia. Um, There is currently a debate around the indigenous voice to parliament. You know, the, yeah. that debate that debate can end up being meaningful only if it's approached in terms of dialogue and not from the perspective of advocacy or adversarial approach. So the, 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 this um, referendum that will take place is a very good example of achieving good outcomes through dialogue. Because I can assure you, if there is no dialogue and you get the yes campaign going their own way and the no campaign going their own way without listening to one another, uh, it doesn't take us anywhere. So that's one example really here in the context of Australia where dialogue uh, happens at the nation state level as a way of trying to resolve, I mean, perennial problems that have been uh, besetting this country for for hundreds of years with indigenous people being looked down upon and not feeling that they are heard, they are listened. So the voice to parliament is an example of trying to create some dialogue within the Australian polity and have everybody have an input. We have precedents from elsewhere at a higher level that have taken place. Uh, for example, um, the post-apartheid situation in South Africa, you know, after the end of apartheid in 1994. So apartheid was a, a policy, a political policy of division where different races were not allowed to mix and largely black people were put down and they were their rights were downtrodden but that ended in 1994 with the advent, advent of democracy so for in 90, from 1991 building up to uh, the advent of democracy there was this uh, political dialogue process which was called the truth and reconciliation commission so that dialogue mm. was a way of trying to bring about some greater understanding post conflict you know bringing everybody together it, it was a transitional justice mechanism you know to to get people who were not looking eye to eye to look each other in the eye and say yes things didn't go right in the past but what happened what were the problems? What were the issues? Not as a way of accusing people, but as a way of trying to say, we need to understand the motivations for this so that we don't slip back into the same things into the, in the future. So everybody was involved and there was this kind of a dialogue. And now it came to a point where South Africa became what is now known as a rainbow nation, a country for all. All right. So that is another mm. example of dialogue at the national level. There's plenty of examples I can cite. Uh, uh, I mean, we have got yeah. uh, the post-conflict situation in Rwanda, the 1994 genocide, you know, and trying to find justice um, for the people that were violated during that time. There was what was known as the Gachacha system. So a communal gathering where people 
ordinary men and women come together and both the perpetrators and the victims, they have conversations, they have dialogue, they talk about these issues as a way of rebuilding, finding one another. So at that level, these things happen. But like I said earlier on, it can also be at the micro social level, you know, at the community, local community level, at the family level, within institutions, in universities, in schools, in colleges. You know, there's always, wherever there's, like I said, every situation where there's human social interaction, it's intercultural. To run a university properly, to run a university properly, you've got to understand that you have to listen to everybody. It's a micro-social level. And so that, those are some of the examples I can just give in passing, how it can take the form of, you know, religious uh, approaches to dialogue as well, you know, interfaith dialogue and so on and so on, Muslim, Christian, you name it, all these other religious groups coming together to understand one another as a way of building a better society and cultivating peace and common understanding. Yeah, and it's so important as well because, you know, as the UN's day likes to focus on is that this can really lead to peace and sustainable development as well. Would you agree? In, in, entirely. I totally agree, Ash, because you cannot talk of development when people are f fighting, when people are there, there are squabbles and so on. Development only happens in a peaceful and harmonious society because you are not distracted, you know, by these cat fights. You know, some, some of these them are cat fights, really. People fighting over little things and losing sight of the bigger picture, you know, the goal of fashioning a common future together as a collective. So peace is a product of dialogue. If we don't enter into very honest and sometimes very difficult, because sometimes we tend to think that dialogue is about conversations that are interesting for all and we are enjoying it. But some of these conversations are by nature very difficult and tough, but they must be had all the same. We need to have these very exactly. difficult conversations, you know, conversations about race, conversations about discrimination, conversations about exclusion, conversations about xenophobia, you know, all these kinds of phobias that are around bigotry and so on, homophobia, and all these conversations must be heard. And they can only occur in the context of dialogue and not advocacy because people tend to think advocacy or the adversarial approach like we have in parliament i mean those guys they are squabbling all the time you know posturing and so on political posturing and, and so on and so on. but if there were to be dialogue i think more things more things would be done through our parliamentary system if there was genuine dialogue and not this adversarial approach of posturing to political correctness and so on yeah yeah i agree and i think part of that is learning to listen to the people more so than just hearing what you want to hear. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Because, uh, I mean, the, the most important thing we need to have as human beings, if we are to progress and develop, is to listen more and speak yeah. less. But, I mean, we have this tendency, the propensity to want to speak more and not listen. And that's where the problem is. This is why, I mean, we all have two ears and one mouth. It's because <laughs> listening is more important than speaking. So we've got to listen more to the other side. You know, if we are to yeah. be able to find common ground, we have to listen and hear the views of other people and take them seriously. Not listening, you know, as a tokenistic thing. Because sometimes there's the, people make up their minds that, well, this is my position. 
I'm not going to move from my position. It, it, it's, it's a principle of mine. That's what it is. Okay, you can tell me what you want to tell me, but you have already made up your mind that whatever they say, you are not going to take into account. That's tokenistic and it's unhelpful. So genuine listening mm. with the desire to actually um, bring on board the views of others and take them seriously. So my one of my final questions, um, what role do you think that cultural diversity plays in strengthening these forms of intercultural dialogue? And are there different forms of cultural diversity? Well, there are, there are different forms of cultural diversity. I mean, diversity can be in terms of, uh, you know, the, the cultures, obviously, cultures, people from different cultures and coming together. Like Australia is a multicultural society. So we, we have people from different uh, cultural backgrounds, but also part of the mix in diversity is language as well and is religion as well and it's political beliefs as well. So all of those are part of cultural diversity. We are raised and brought up in different societies with different values and knowledge systems. All those things are part of cultural diversity. But you see, it's like a garden. You know, a garden is beautiful because they are plenty of different species of flowers together coexisting in the same garden. That's how the garden is beautiful. So cultural diversity as well, it might be seen uh, in the light of that metaphor of a garden with plenty of different flowers, you know, that make the place beautiful. Um, so we've got to look at cultures uh, religions, languages, and traditions of knowing as a resource, something that we can harness and bring together. Because um, there's a concept, um, research, uh, some scholars, there's a concept, uh, it's a big concept, but I throw it in the mix anyway, I'll explain it. It's called the concept of ontologies of incompleteness. That is to say, there is no single thing or idea or tradition of knowing or culture or language or way of thinking that is complete on its own. So incompleteness, incompleteness is the default state of things, of beings, of reality. Everything is incomplete on its own and it needs to be completed by other things. All right. So now your culture, your Australian culture, your Indonesian culture, your African culture, whatever it is, it's incomplete on its own. It can only be completed by other cultures from other parts of the world. What we have, you know, from our national cultures is just a partial, a partial view of the world. And we need others to complete us. I will throw another concept here from my African tradition. You know, in one of the languages I speak, is Zulu. We have the concept of Ubuntu, that is being. So Ubuntu means being human. So Ubuntu, the concept of Ubuntu says, I am because you are. I cannot be without you. So cultures, then cultural diversity is significant in the sense that it completes all of us. You know, but you see, there is a problem, particularly politicians in some societies, they uh, sensationalize, they, they hijack these diversities and use them for wrong purposes, for fanning political division, for fanning cultural antagonism and so on and so on. And yet, if we look at them positively and look at their respective strengths, we can build better societies, 
peaceful societies because each culture brings something that completes another culture, completes another tradition. So it's a beautiful thing to be a diverse society because everybody brings something that we don't have. So as an individual, you are not complete on your own. You are completed by other people. So for you to exist, you exist relationally with other human beings that bring something to make you to be who you are. You know, so it might sound like a little bit complex, but I think it brings us down to the basics, really. That's, this is why we exist in societies, we exist in families, we exist in groups and so on. They complete us. We can't be without others. We are social creatures. I know many of us would prefer to think that we're not, but human beings are social animals at our very core. So, of course, we do yeah. need those societies and the people around us to better ourselves and to learn more about the world through other people, as you're yes, saying. Yes, indeed, indeed. And it's good for your mental health and well-being anyway. I mean, you wouldn't want to be yeah, it really yourself is. all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's any research happening in this field that you're involved in or that you believe is important that you'd like to share with us? Yes, uh, this is a very uh, rich field of uh, of study, of research, uh, uh, Ash, and uh, there's a lot of work that has uh, it, it, it been happening like in the US, in Canada, in, in places like South Africa, and here in Australia. I will cite a, a recent example of the work I'm doing at UNE uh, with, uh, with my mm -hmm. colleagues in the discipline of criminology so we are we are we have started in the last two years we've started this project trying to uh center intercultural communication or intercultural issues in trying to inform policing rural and regional context so communication between police officers predominantly anglo and english speaking with migrants we we are getting a lot of migrants, uh, people from other countries with very limited English settling in our regions. So there's chances that there will be, there's a lot of intercultural misunderstanding between police officers and uh, these communities who speak different bits and pieces of language. You know, so because sometimes we tend to think that, well, this person came from Syria, therefore their language is this or is Arabic or whatever. But these are people that would have moved, you know, uh, in different, through different countries, spent 5, 10, 15 or even 20 years in other places. And we don't know about that story. So when they come here, they are documented as someone that came from Syria, but they may have actually come from some other country, you know, and spent many years in, 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 in third or fourth destination countries before settling. So they speak bits and pieces of different languages. So this is where now the idea of cultural literacy is important. You've got to be culturally literate, understand and know these individuals, their history, their biographies, their migration journeys, and so on. So now when police officers are interacting with these people, often the tendency is to say, okay, we'll resort to the instrument of translation and interpretation, but interpreting into which language? Because this person has multiple bits and pieces of language they know. And for you to be able to communicate well with them, you've got to know which language are they strong in. So we are doing that kind of a project, really, to find um, other ways of really trying to resolve instances. Because sometimes crimes go unreported. Sometimes people get wrongly 
convicted because there was this miscommunication or misunderstanding in terms of uh, the, the the medium of communication and so on. So we're doing that project um, with uh, with my colleagues uh, in criminology just trying to to contribute you know to uh, these conversations around intercultural dialogue as a way of improving how the police discharge their duties and how people work with the police and so on and so on so this is one example i can uh, just cite uh, quickly that's a fantastic example thank you so so much for sharing that and thank you for coming in as well and talking to us about this because it's really important that I think for, you know, other people to hear about and to really understand what it actually means to have cultural diversity for dialogue and development, because it's, it's a bit of a mouthful. And if you're not under, if you don't understand what it actually means at its core, then you don't really know how to implement it. Yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thanks. Thanks. Ash. It's a pleasure for me to speak to these matters because I mean, the, the bottom line is um, diversity in whatever form is the default state of being. All human beings and all societies are diverse. That's the bottom line. There is no society that is uniform and there's no individual that is not diverse because we all belong to different social groups. Um, you know, we have multiple identities that we move in and out of from time to time. That makes us diverse. You know, even language-wise, sometimes people tend to think, oh, well, there's Australian English. But there are diversities within Australian English itself. And this is why you find that, <laughs> you know, husband and wife or partners, they have lived together for 20, 30 years. And they always say, they speak the same language called Australian English. And you find people say, I just don't understand you. Can you speak me to me in a language that I am? <laughs> but I mean, we are both speaking Australian English. What are you saying in a language I don't understand? Yeah. That tells you there's an element of diversity in everything, really. Yeah. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Finax. This has been really incredible. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Ash. Thanks. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to these matters.